wish I knew how it would feel to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me. I wish I could say all the things that I should say. Say 'em loud, say 'em clear for the whole round world. So, hey everybody, good morning. I wish I could share all the your national movement building show. Your revolutionary roundtable. Wake up and smell the revolution. We like the show today, of course. Jenny and Martinez and I always produce it. So here's what the show is going to be today. We're going to start with about an eight-minute clip of my remarks at a terrific KPFK forum that was held at the Cobra Palms United Methodist Church on January 20th. I'm not going to mention everybody, you know, whoever I'm, but there was uh, Teresa Brontaine, John Parker, Frank Doro, Michael Novick, Matt Cedillo, the Conga Poet, Jeff Cohen, Rachel Bronke, the State Chandler, and Jan McKeithen, among others, along with Channing Martinez and Monoletti Walker and myself, and David Clannon, who was a great speaker and timekeeper. So you'll be hearing my remarks, uh, and I hope you like them. It was a really wonderful event. We raised some money, but the intellectual level is very, very high, and you should just be lucky that these are some of the voices from KPFK. I'm sure they'll be playing the whole thing, but, you know, since it's now a show, we play me. Um, okay, after that, there's going to be a conversation between Akuna Uka and myself, Akuna is the director of volunteer programs at the Labor Community Strategy Center. She was the debate team coach at New Roads Academy. I was on the Cornell University debate team so many years ago. We're going to show the film The Great Debaters, and then she and I are going to just have a long talk about debating, debate theory, and she and I are going to be debating that night. The event is going to be on Thursday, uh, February 1st at 6 p.m. at the Strategy and Soul Movement Center at 3546 Martin Luther King. You can go on info at the Please consider getting a ticket. So that'll be that. And then, uh, you know, we play music. Sometimes I sing music. But we're going to play uh, one great song with two great artists. Uh, I think, you know, one of the big women's liberation songs is I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. So we're going to kick off the show with that. And then we go out. We're going to go out with Celia Cruz's Yo Vivere, which is also I Will Survive in Spanish. Another terrific version of the same song. So thanks to Acuna. Thanks to Channing. Thanks, KPFK, and I hope you have a wonderful show. At first I was afraid, I was petrified, kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong, and I grew strong, and I learned how to get along, and so you're back, from outer space. I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon 
theoretical discussions. So please come over afterwards and check out just the beginning of our bookstore. And also on February 1st, we're having an event called The Great Debaters with Denzel Washington and then Akuna Uka and I in the debate and teach theory of debate. The point is films, books, KPFK, winning the battle of ideas is critical right now. But I want to focus a little bit on the election specifically. Um, I think the last thing we want to do is debate Joe Biden versus Cornel West or somebody else. It's irrelevant. Each person should do whatever they think is best. It's a legitimate, it's a legitimate strategic argument for Biden. It's a legitimate strategic argument for Cornel West. But here's what I think. What? Yeah. Jill Stein. Let him finish. Well, wait, listen, Jill Stein. Jill Stein. We said freedom. Wait a minute. Okay, let him finish. Jill Stein sold out the Bus Riders Union and made a promise to the Bus Riders Union that she would oppose an MTA racist uh, sales tax and she agreed to sign it. She just wanted to talk to the EOAs first and afterwards she wouldn't get back to us and it passed, and that money is all being used for police. So we'll discuss Joe Stein some other time, okay? Yeah. But let me make my point, let me make my point. There was a struggle inside the Democratic Party that is critical. And AOC, and the squad, and all the people, you said age two members of Congress now? Over 65. Over 65. Biden is gonna to try to crush that conversation because he's terrified of the loss of the Arab and Muslim vote. He's also in trouble on women. He's in trouble on everything. And there's going to be an effort to crush, excuse me, to crush the conversation inside the Democratic Party, and that's going to be a fight. With Cornel West, the problem is he's a very individualistic person. He's a college professor. And I'm worried that his, his campaign events are going to be like lectures where he's going to say all the right things, but we have to make demands on Cornell West as well. Would you go and march with Jewish Boys for Peace? Would you come to the Strategy Center and fight for no police on the buses and trains? Uh, will you fight for free public transportation? Will you fight for uh, no cars in LA? Jesse Jackson, when he ran in 1984, 1988, marched with every single mass movement. He used his authority to bring attention. So the question is not who you're going to vote for, it's who you're going to pressure to come up with our demands. And, and so that's what I think we need to do. We need to have an independent program, such as uh, not just a ceasefire, but in my opinion, sorry, Israel out of Israel. Uh, you know, I was. I was at the 1848, the, the, I was born in 1848, no. I was at the uh, 150th anniversary of the Communist Manifesto, and I was in Paris, and you know, the German Marxists would get up, and the French Marxists would get up, and I said, uh, I'm an anti-American. And every third world person came over and hugged me, because I do not identify as an American. Um, I live here, but my job is to struggle against the United States. In that context, thank you for everything. Voice to the front lines every Friday morning at 7 a.m. So, hey, everybody. This is Eric Mann.
I'm in studio with Akuna Uka. You're on Voices from the Frontline, your National Movement Building Show, your Revolutionary Roundtable. Wake up and smell the revolution, and we'll keep coming up with more subtitles. Uh, we're very excited. Today's program is going to talk to you about an event this coming Thursday, February 1st. We're calling it The Great Debaters. It's both based on this amazing film, The Great Debaters, that I'm going to tell you about. And also, Rakun and I are going to do a debate that we've been still working on because we both, uh, Kuna has been the uh, coach of the uh, New Roads debate team. And um, a long time ago, I was on the Columbia University debate team. And we like the debate. So, and we want you to come. It's the point. Uh, there's nothing worse than debating in an empty room. So let's talk about the film, The Great Debaters. A lot of you out there, have you heard of it? Have you seen it? As I said, it's one of the finest political films. So here's what I wrote in the flyer that's going up. The Great Debaters is a brilliant political film. It's a story of the Wiley College HBCU in Marshall, Texas, debating, initiated and coached by Melvin B. Tolson, played by Denzel Washington. Uh, Melvin Tolson is a college professor by day and a communist organizer of sharecroppers by night. The core narrative is the story of the greatest debate team in U.S. history, that is to say the Wiley College debate team. And the finale of the film is Black Wiley's debate with White Harvard for the national championship. The screenplay is by Robert Eisel, based on the article by Tony Sherman. As a sensational cast, I'm trying to limit my superlatives, but it's hard. The debate team is made up of Samantha Book, a black woman in 1935, played by Janae Smollett, Henry Lowe, played by Nate Parker, and James Farmer Jr., played by Denzel Whitaker, and also Reverend James Farmer Sr., played by Forrest Whitaker. I'll expand the description review as we get closer to the February film showing, which is now. What a great film about the cultural, political, gender, and class unity and struggle inside the black community, the role of intellect and debate in training the mind, and shockingly, a film that shows a communist in such an attractive light, although no matter which character Denzel Washington plays, it's always phenomenally attractive, even when he plays a terrible detective. Join us for a great film evening and a debate with Akuna Uka and myself. We'll be debating, but are on the same team. So I won't go into much more about the film, but um, you know, one of the things that's great about the film is that the HBCUs in the 30s imagined a black debate team. And Denzel Washington plays Melvin Tolson, who's a very tough taskmaster. He really pushes people. And that's one of the things you have to decide. I like, I've always liked mentors like this. Um, today, it's hard to be one because everybody feels something bad about something. But back in the day, a tough teacher is what you wanted. And you never, I never took it personally. And my teachers at core were very strict and pushed me. But the point is, he believes in black intellect. And he wants to push black people to be as smart as they are and as smart as they can be. One of the subplots of the film, which is wonderful, is Reverend James Farmer Sr., played by Forrest Whitaker, 
he's an old-fashioned, you could say, uh, probably Baptist minister in Texas. Very smart, but very worried about his son. You know, he doesn't want his son to do radical things. And uh, one of the dynamic, and his son is James Farmer Jr. Now, James Farmer Jr. is only 14 years old in 1935. James Farmer Jr. becomes my boss in 1964 when he goes on to become, because he was 14 he was, when he was already in the debate team, he goes on to be to form the Congress of Racial Equality in 1942, the year I'm born, along with Brian Rustin and the Fellowship of Reconciliation in Chicago, uh, mainly white pacifists, because they're all very worship of reconciliation is very nonviolent, isn't really nonviolent. I mean, they believe that no aggression, just sort of coming in and sitting down and getting beat up. They, they're in the Gandhi tradition. By 1964, when I get involved, CORE is not into passive resistance, they're into nonviolent direct action, with a focus on direct action. So as I keep saying, you know, a lot of people keep saying Dr. King was nonviolent, nonviolent, but Dr. King was very aggressive. And that's what people don't understand. There's nothing, aggression can be nonviolent. So the point is, James Farm was a great man. He was uh, one of the five, big five at the March on Washington in 1963. And he was one of my bosses and one of my mentors, which is very cool. So when I see the film, and I see this 14-year-old young man being trained, I can envision Jim Farmer being my boss. And then just stream of consciousness, I'm with James Farmer, who talks like this, and he's a great man who speaks with great authority. And I'm with Joyce Ware, who's my immediate mentor, and we watched Jim Farmer going to uh, Trenton, where he was going to give a speech at a church. So we're on the train from New York to Trenton. And we get there, we go to this family's house first. And I'm sorry, the, uh, I had never seen a, a, heard a, seen a sneeze, heard a smell, a smell like that. But that house smelled, I had never had that smell before. And somebody was making chitlins for James Farmer. And about the last thing that James Farmer wanted to do is eat chitlins. So the woman, I'm saying to George, what is that? He says, this is a rite of passage for every black leader. Mr. Farmer, I'm so happy to see you. I made the biggest bowl of chitlins you've ever seen. He said, um, I'm so sorry. I've just eaten. That's okay. You never can have enough chitlins, can you? So she put this big bowl in front of him. And he had to eat at least, you know, whatever. It was pretty funny. And then he, whether he said he was going to take it to go, whatever. But that was just one of my experiences. So when I'm watching uh, the great debaters, there's just so many streams of consciousness that come out of it. But the point is, this is just a phenomenal political film, brilliantly cast, great character development. And it is a struggle, and then, spoiler alert, James Farmer Sr. does come to respect both the communist teacher and his young radical son. And it's a beautiful kind of rite of passage about 
you know, how the black senior is trying to protect the damn family from murder. And the young generation is saying, well, I want to take over the system. And the father's saying, there's a lot of dead children I took on the system, and I don't want you to be one of them. So it's done at a level of subtlety and beauty. That's one of the things I talked about, the cultural struggle inside the black community. So we want you to come out, join us. And Akuna, tell me about, before you get to the you and me debating, how did you become the uh, debate coach at uh, New Road? You know, it's kind of funny. It's <laughs> the the truth is it happened reluctantly. So I was a humanities fellow working under a master history teacher. And this was, you know, after college. So I already had my teacher certification. I had done my student teaching and all of that. But this was, you know, one more year to work under someone and really learn before having my own classroom. Uh, and that teacher's Katie Ward out of Polytechnic. And she was not only the history teacher for the sixth grade, but she also led the middle school debate team. And so she asked me if I would help coach. And I didn't want to because the practices are on Friday afternoon. <laughs> 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 and I to start my weekend right when school ended. And, you know, I right. talked to my mom about it and she was like, that is not how you go about making decisions in life. So, you know, long story <laughs> short, I ended up being her assistant coach. And then I, uh, after that fellowship, I started at another school um, and started a debate team there. And then eventually uh, got to New Roads where they had started a team uh, and asked me to lead it. So that's how, uh, that's how I came to be there. Well, now that you work in the strategy center, you know there's no such thing as Friday afternoon, and uh, which we do know. Uh, let me ask you this: This is great. Um, I, you know, you and I have been working on trying to reconstruct debate theory, and we haven't really got there yet. So, tell me a couple of elements of when you're teaching. These are middle school, so they're what, what, how old are they? So, twelve to. 11 to 13, but, you know, the team was 6 through 12, which was amazing because I actually, there were some students who I worked with for four or six years. So they started maybe as middle school debaters. And then by the end, you know, they're they're seniors in high school who have a lot of years of experience. Yeah, and they're, you know, and James Farmer was 14 when he was in college, you know. So that's a very interesting age intellectually. So Tell me a couple of the theories you work on when you're trying to teach debate. Like if you're trying to people, how do you even understand what does it take to win a debate? You know, one of the things that I would start with, especially with the middle schoolers, is encouraging them to have that mental flexibility. Like the way you and I talk about it is respecting the opponent, right? So you're not assuming that you're debating against dummy arguments you're like this person is a developed person who has ideas who is as prepared as me if not more you make that assumption and you're debating them at the highest level of their arguments so one one activity I would do with the little ones is I would give half the room maybe a Reese's Pieces and half the room a Hershey's and I would say, okay, you get to, you know, smell it, eat it, touch it, taste it, do all of the fun things. And then I want you to work in your group and come up with 10 reasons why your chocolate is the better chocolate. 
and they're like, oh, I got it. You know, they're writing on the board and they're, you know, <laughs> and then of course, you know, the little ones, like their faces are covered in chocolate. So it's hilarious to watch also <laughs> as you're listening to them <laughs> come up with ideas and, and their claims. Um, but then what's interesting is once they're done and they have their top 10, I say, okay, cut it down to five. What are your five best arguments? And then can you cut it down to three? What are your three best arguments, right? Because we all know the triad is usually what people remember when you're giving a speech. So then they cut it down to three. They're all covered in chocolate. They feel very proud. And I say, you need to decide who in the group is going to, you know, argue for your team. And so, of course, they decide on someone. And then what I do is I have them switch. And so... They had spent all of this time preparing <laughs> to argue for Hershey right, right. This is to great. argue for Reese's. <laughs> so it's it's fun, but it's a really great way to encourage them to one, you know, they obviously have to work as a group and, you know, debate is so much about preparation and evidence, which is why I love working with you and Channing and Barbara. Everything we do is about preparation and evidence and working together. Um, but then it's also about being prepared, knowing your arguments, what are your strongest points versus what are you just going to pull if you're desperate? Uh, and then also being able to have that mental flexibility to debate the other side. Well, you should, I'm glad we're taping this because that was great. I mean, uh, one thing I think was brilliant about that is they would have argued for whatever chocolate they were eating at the time, you know. But, but the point is, they felt so passionate about it. Because you found something that they, oh, I totally got this. I got this, you know. And then they're so excited about it. And then you show them, yeah, that's good. But, oh, the other person is going to be equally passionate. That's good. You know, that was, you know, when I was at Cornell, I would, um, it was still confusing to me to realize that we had to prep both sides of the story because you didn't know. As you know, you didn't know which side you were going to draw until you got there. Yes. And I always learned the most about arguing for the position I didn't agree with. And seeing it was a really good point. And once I was committed to winning, damn, I became the most passionate conservative, you know, whatever the fuck it was, <laughs> whatever the hell it was, because they teach you, you don't want to lose this debate. You don't look like a damn fool. So. <laughs> You know, so that was good. But that's really a great story. And then the other point, just to reinforce, is that I do this in writing. You know, I have 10 points and five points and three points and one point. It's hard to focus, to grasp that you know a lot of things, but what's the one if you have to do one? And to, again, reinforce, it's really by teaching them to go from 10 to 5, and then five to three, they're starting to get the hang of, well, what is the theory about why it's bright, right? That sounded great. Um, I always tend to have the three points, you know, I, mean, I like the triad. I think the mind works on it. That's my intuitive. What's the theory behind why the mind likes three? That I don't know. I don't know what it is psychologically. I don't know if it's that if you have four, you tend to forget the middle argument, but there's yeah. something about three that psychologically that's what the mind can handle and fully retain so that the judge know, or, you know, the audience, whomever is able to actually remember and 
process your arguments. And more than that, usually they get lost. And then less, you seem like, oh, well, you don't really have much <laughs> support what you're trying to debate. <laughs> well, let's look it up because one thing I'm thinking as you say, because the, the triad, is there something about a triangle that makes sense to yourself visually? Like it's got a main point, it's got two things coming up, whereas a, a box of four is very uninteresting. You know, I mean, it's just like a box. So let's play around with, we'll look up, why does the mind like a triad? Why do I like it? But you said, so that was cool. It's almost like a a story, right? Like a story naturally has a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's just something, the way we like to hear a story and a good speech or a good debate are essentially two clashing stories. Maybe that's it, but yeah, let's definitely look into it. No, I think, I'm saying I think it's just that. 10 different theological levels of Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. You know, uh, I just thought of that. But I mean, why do we like three is a good, that could be a whole debate with the, not, you know, with, you can't say it needs a, a beginning, a middle, a middle, and an end. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't be too good. I mean, you could, but I would make you rewrite the paper. <laughs> right, right. Okay, well, this is great. So, and by the way, You've been writing really great now. So sending emails to Eric at Voices from the Frontlines, Channing at Voices from the Frontlines. We're behind in getting back to you. We always say we'll get back to you. We're not doing such a great job, but I'll commit. I will. That between now and Thursday the 1st, I personally will go back over at least the last 10 emails and both invite you to the show and write a personal note. So that's worked. But you've been like, we're starting to get three, four, five a show, which is what we wanted. So you go on voices from the frontlines.com. Almost as soon as you click on it, it'll give you a link to just uh, register and then you keep listening to the show. So so tell us, uh, what are we doing? That's a great question. I mean, I know that we're going to watch an amazing film and we're definitely going to have popcorn, freshly popped. Then after that, I mean, I think we need to segue and and have some sort of break because the movie itself, and I'm I'm assuming a lot of people will have seen it before, uh, but I'm actually really excited to see it again because it's been a lot of years. I don't remember what year it came out, so I'm definitely excited to see it again, uh, and I'm sure a lot of other people who are coming are too. And then we'll segue into the debate, and I think we agree that Channing is going to, you know, be our our person who's offering some comments and, and feedback and, and summing up the debate and, and what he got out of it. So we'll see if the triad holds true and if he holds our arguments. Uh, but what was really hard but interesting was trying to think about, well, what is the debate topic? Like, what are we actually debating? Um, and as you said, we're on the same team. And so... I don't want you to go back to your Cornell days and have to play the conservative because clearly we are who we are. Um, but it's a, it's an opportunity to think of, okay, given our position, we're third world folks, we're folks who uh, believe in, you know, free Palestine, we're, you know, pro-Black, um, for climate justice. So knowing our lens already and who we are, what would be a topic that we could debate where there are two sides, but it's, we're on the same team, 
wondering what's the best way maybe to go about something or what's the better way to think through something not that we're opposed and you know ideology but maybe in strategy or maybe in ideas about the best way to move forward which you know I I think as we've talked about you've mentioned like I think that's something that if there is a movement right now that's what we need right we need more debate and and more discussion about what we're actually doing (laughs) So what is the debate we agreed on? Tell our listeners because we have an answer to it. Yes, right. yes. Well, you know, you have to keep listening. <laughs> you have to get past 720 to find out the topic. So what we agreed <laughs> on is assuming that we are who we are, right? You know, uh, third world is internationalist, all of that. Should we vote for Joe Biden, current president, or for candidate Cornell West? Right. And that'll so, be our topic. So I drew the uh, the Joe Biden straw, which may be the straw that breaks my back, but, uh, <laughs> and you're going to be Cornell West. It'll be fun. And yeah, okay. one thing we want our listeners to understand, because that's something I also said at the KPFK event, is that we didn't have a very actual debate. But the one thing I think we're going to show in the debate is there are legitimate arguments for both positions. And the last thing we want is to fight over presidential elections. Like, you know, we don't have enough unity to get $100 million to Black Student Achievement Plan. We don't have enough unity to really push the Los Angeles Metro to get the police off it. But boy, you get into a discussion in the election, everybody gets so righteous, like, all right, now I've got a subject that I like. Mm-hmm. And people argue with each other as if they have, uh, you know, 50 electoral votes that they're deciding which way to go to. Mm-hmm. So we, what we want to um, demonstrate is this is a very important debate. It's not like it's not. But the first thing is each of us are going to try to make the best version of that position. And then we're going to try to rebut each other, which will even show more and then at the end, you will make your own decision. But as we're saying, you're not voting in, for a nice evening on a Thursday night. We're not voting because if you're already for Cornell West, there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to convince you. And if you're for Joe Biden, nothing. But, but we want to make you a little bit, duh, they got a good point. Duh, I couldn't make that argument. You know, I never thought of that. And then the second debate is going to be, you know, uh, pastrami versus corned beef. Then the third one will be, corn you know. Beef. <laughs> <laughs> you corn beef. <laughs> well, that's good. I'll take pastrami. That's great. Then afterwards, we're going to do, what was it, Reese's versus, what was the other one? Versus Hershey. Got it. That's good. We're gonna, so you may, folks, if you come, we may give you a uh, grab something and you have two minutes to debate. Which one, but you don't know if you're going to get pastrami or corned beef. <laughs> so we're still working on it, is the point, and we're having a good time. And, you know, I'm sure you know by now that one reason I love the strategy centers, I love the people, and we, uh, we like each other a lot. So we better because we spent a lot of time together. And we, you know, Kuna and I take this very seriously. We want it to be very successful. And, um, Please come out. That's the point. We don't have that many tickets sold, 
not near it. We have 100 seats available. So go online at uh, thestrategycenter.org. Is that right? If you want to get it. I mean, if you want to get the tickets, that's how you get it. And the other thing I want to say is that on the show, I always, you know that if you listen to the show, I always urge you to say yes. Whoever's on, if it's American Indian Movement, if it's the the Red Nation, if it's uh, somebody's got a new book, um, when in doubt, buy the book. Now, you know, in terms of the rules, I'm not allowed to directly advocate for something. But I do advocate in general, which is whoever's on the show, help them. You know, that's, I generally do. If I get, somebody sends me something for money, if I like the cause, I'll give them something. It may not be as, you know, it may be not my highest priority, but I, I like yes. I think we all like yes. So if you want to say yes, go on uh, the strategies.org and there'll be a nice uh, thing that Shani probably set up and you'll go buy a ticket if you so choose. So, Kuhn, any last thoughts on the event and then you and I are going to segue into something yeah, where will the event be held? So it's Thursday, February 1st, starting at 6 o'clock. Where should people show up? Good point. At Strategy and Soul Movement Center, 35, 30, what the hell is the address? The most 30, important thing, King and Crenshaw. That's what I King remember. King and Crenshaw, 3456, right? And 3456, uh, between King and Crenshaw, you're on King, between Crenshaw and McClung, 90008, Strategy and Soul. You'll see the whole thing. It's across from uh, Krispy Kreme. And we may have another debate about Krispy Kreme versus Dunkin' Donuts. So you never know what we're going to do. Oh, Krispy Kreme. That's not even a debate, Eric. <laughs> right. You see, now, you see, you're so subtle about Cornell West and Biden. But now that we got the pastrami and corned beef or Krispy Kreme, <laughs> You have lost all subtlety in your thinking. You just well, I can't stop. give away all my warrants on the show. People need to Wait. come to the debate for that. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I'm talking with Akuna Uka, who's the uh, Director of Volunteer Programs at the Labor Community Strategy Center. I'm Eric Mann, uh, co-host of Voices from the Frontlines, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. Streaming live on the web for all the people. And there are people all over the world, which is very cool, listening live at www.kpfk.org. Also, go on our um, website, uh, voicesfromthefrontlines.com, and register. And you can also get last year's, last year, last week's show that we'll just download for you. Obviously, it means a lot and it's a major change in your life. Uh, that you decided to, you know, leave your position at New Roads and become a PhD student at, at USC. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit again why you made the decision and uh, how long are you in now? Uh, how long have you, uh, how much time have you served on your PhD? Time's like a prison sentence. That's what I'm saying, right. My right. release date is 2027. <laughs> <laughs> with good behavior. <laughs> right. 
And when did when would you start it? Yes, I've served one semester. <laughs> Thanks for picking up the, the analogy. Okay. So I want to talk about why you made the decision. And leaving aside for a minute, it's direct relationship to the strategist. And I do want to ask you more about what's at night to really be a graduate a PhD program. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, when I started volunteering with the Strategy Center, there was an initial project, right? And then there were other projects. And then it's like, oh, well, this isn't about a certain project that I want to work on or contribute to. This is an organization that I want to be a part of whose politics align with mine, uh, that's stretching me, that's taking the time to educate me, that's offering me space to figure out, well, what the hell are we trying to do in LA across the country and the world? Um, And the more I wanted to commit, I realized, you know, the pie wasn't getting any bigger. So when you're an administrator, especially, you know, you're at school well before the teachers get there. And of course, the students, you're one of the last ones to leave you're working evenings, you're working weekends. And, you know, obviously it's fulfilling when you get to be with the students, but if there's anything beyond the scope of your job description that you really want to dedicate yourself to, it's nearly, you know, impossible if you also enjoy sleeping, which I do. So (laughs) it leaving that full-time role and starting the PhD program offered the flexibility in my schedule to be able to be at the places that's important to us, right? Like if we're talking about, we need to fight for black students. Well, sometimes that means you need to be available for the school board meetings, or you need to be available for the planning meetings leading up to the school board meetings. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that doing the PhD has offered is the flexibility and the time to be where I really want to be, which is, you know, with you guys, you know, struggling in LAUSD, figuring out how are we getting fair free transit? We already had it. What do we need to do to get it again? And permanently, all of these things, it it takes time. And so that's been really amazing. And then another thing is, you know, I'm taking a sociology class right now, and it's on social movements. And so, what the PhD is offering is that it also offers a space for me to reflect on some of the things that we're doing. And then sometimes it's critically, right? Like I'm like, Oh, these theorists clearly were never a part of anything because that's not how it works. Um, But it's fun to be in a classroom with other, you know, organizers and, and folks who are also trying to figure it out. And they're also reading these texts and thinking, does this align with my work? Does this reflect any of our models or, is this something that someone wrote by themselves uh, during their sentence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and then they went on to become warden. So uh, if, they, <laughs> if, they, if they really succeeded. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was talking to a really great young organizer named Chanel Kirk, and she's with Black Lives Matter in the schools, and she and I started to do some talking to each other and stuff, and uh, we had a really good conversation today about volunteerism, about how, you know, most of the capacity of organizations today is based on funded staff. And it has to be in some way. But I was telling her, and we were both discussing, that, 
you know, during the 60s and 70s, there was virtually no staff. I mean, people had a job, people had a school, people had families, everybody had a life. And they found three, day, three hours a day. They found Saturdays and Sundays because they wanted to. That was their calling. And uh, no organizations can succeed without, not volunteers, that's not the right word, but with voluntary leaders. You know I mean, who people come in and say, I'm here not to show up to the meeting. I'm here, to, as you said, to plan the meeting. I'm here to clean up after the meeting. So you leave one job where you're the last one in and the first one in and the last one out, and you take another one, which is, and in my work with you, you know, I, and I work with, you know, people like you are committed. I had to be very respectful. It's a complicated dance because you had a job. You have a, a, a marriage. You have a family. You have sleep. And how do you, encourage somebody to say you really need to do some more without making them feel bad because if you don't take into consideration their actual life you're not going to move them forward and I, you and I had a long set of talks where we navigated over years to we always came up with the absolute most you could do inside that and I never pushed you beyond that because that's not productive you know but I'm very grat- grateful that you've made this decision. It's, it's a tremendous gift to the organization and, and uh, a gift to you too, I know. So um, so thank you. You know, it means a lot. Um, so let's go back to school a little bit. What are you reading? What are some books you like? What are some debates going on in the classes? Take us inside. Uh, you know, prisons also. Well, when I was in prison, we had some great discussions in there. So uh, Tell me about it. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So as I said, I, I'm taking a social movements class and it's in the sociology department. And that's interesting because obviously that class attracts certain types of students. And so, you know, one person has worked with organizers in Hong Kong. Another person actually wasn't even in L.A. the day of class because they uh, are working with the AUW and they had a conference that weekend. And so they're an organizer with that union. Uh, Another person, you know, studied interesting, yeah, studied criminology, but is, you know, anti-police and it it seems to be pretty uh, abolitionist. So only had two classes so far, but I definitely look forward to getting to know the class more like who are these people what are they doing out there beyond usc um and what are they hoping to learn or what are they trying to work through through this class i mean the professor her name uh she goes by hodge professor hodge and she was inspired to study social movements because of her parents' backgrounds. They're, you know, they're from Iran. And um, from what I understand, they were refugees. And and so they um, have always had a huge organizing spirit. And, and for other students in the class, it was also interesting to hear, well, what was it that led you 
to this, right? Like we all know that the world seems to be falling apart, but you know, some people wait for someone else and other people are like, okay, I need to join a group and we need to all figure out what to do together. So that's been really interesting. Um, one comment to that, because I'm going to yeah. right into ending because I want to make sure we have enough time. But no, you're doing great. We, we could talk for two hours. Um, what's your main, uh, you, we're going to ask people if you like listening to Kuno and Eric Mann, please join us uh, this Thursday, February 1st, 3546 Martin Luther King at the Strategy and Soul Movement Center. Six o'clock, we'll have a reception, 6.30 to film, the great debaters, afterwards we'll have debate, and we'll have a reception. Last thoughts, Akuna, on the event. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) I don't know if that's a real thought. That's probably just a reaction, but that's how I feel. I'm so excited for it. And, you know, obviously I was a debate coach, but unlike you, I was never a debater. (laughs) So I'm really excited to be on the other side of the table and the prep is so stimulating. Like that's what I'm really enjoying the conversations with you and, you know, reading up on, okay, well, what was Wes saying about Palestine? What, uh, you know, all of these things. So the prep is where you raise your political consciousness. So I'm really excited about that. And then obviously the audience and what they're thinking and, and how they respond and react to us. So I'm excited about all of that. Thanks for everything. I mean, I think, both of us being excited, we know that these two people are going to be very excited about this event. And we hope, <laughs> <laughs> and we have standing in Lati, and we, you know, we have sold 15 to 20 tickets, folks, but we'd love you to be the next 10. So please go on uh, thestrategycenter.org and get some tickets, bring your family. Uh, Akuna, it's always a pleasure to work with you. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. This is Channing Martinez, your co-host of Voices from the Frontlines, your revolutionary roundtable. Thanks for tuning in to the show. As mentioned, you can get tickets to the Great Debaters film showing and live debate at Strategy and Soul by going to www.thestrategycenter.org. We always appreciate your feedback and want more emails from you, responses. Please feel free to email either Eric or Channing, C-H-A-N-N-I-N-G, at VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com. As always, all of our shows are archived on VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com and also on your favorite podcasting site. Just search our name. As promised, please enjoy this version of I Will Survive or Yo Vivere by Celia Cruz as we go out and enjoy our week. See you next week on VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com and KPFK. We're not in Fun Drive, but call 818-985-5735 to support KPFK today. See you next week. All power to the people. Por los caminos más lejanos, por los sueños que soñé, será el reflejo del amor de lo que te tocó vivir. Será la música de fondo de lo mucho que sentí. Oye mi son, oye, mi viejo son, tiene las claves 
de cualquier generación En el alma de tu gente, en el cuero del tambor En las manos del conguero, en los pies del bailador Yo viviré como no, allí estaré Ahí nada más, traspaso una compasa Con tu rumba cantaré Seré siempre lo que fui, con mi azúcar para ti Yo viviré, yo viviré Con el sueño de la libertad Cuántos amigos que dejé Y cuántas lágrimas lloré Yo viviré Para volverlos a encontrar Y seguiré Con mi canción Bailando música caliente Como bailo yo Cuando suena una guaracha Cuando suena un guaguancó En la sangre de mi pueblo En tu cuerpo estaré yo Oye mi son Qué honor Mi viejo tiene la clave de cualquier generación En el alma de mi gente, en el cuero del tambor En las manos del conguero, en los pies del bailador Yo viviré, allí estaré Mientras pase una comparsa, con mi rumba cantaré Seré siempre lo que fui, con mi azúcar para ti Yo viviré, yo viviré Oh. 